Welcome to the Lifestyle First podcast, discussing lifestyle medicine and making self-care as easy as one, two, three. One question, two research reviews, and three actionable health tips, all centered around the Lifestyle First method, your blueprint for the 10 key roots of optimal health and happiness. And now your host, lifestyle medicine physician and coach, Dr. Alka Patel. Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 8. Today we're continuing to take a deep dive with my co-authors into the book A Prescription for Healthy Living. And the theme in the Lifestyle First Method we're exploring today is L, Learn Habits. And the one question we're discussing is, what's the harm in smoking? Two references to support today's discussion are the chapter on smoking in the book, A Prescription for Healthy Living, and also statistics on smoking from NHS Digital. So today I have with me Dr. Adam Douglas. Adam is a histopathologist and he lives uh, over in Plymouth. And he's actually been making his way around the British Isles. He's trained in Northern Ireland, in Wales, and now in, in England. And what's he doing when he's not doing that well? He is entertaining his three-month-old daughter. And in between that, he's writing his blog, which is called The Ordinary Decent Gamer. And he's got a very long list of hobbies, which include <laughs> baking, DIY, filmmaking, and you're going to have to go and have a look at his blog site uh, if you want to know more. So Adam, welcome. Uh, it's really great to have you here today. Thank you very much for having me, Alka. Yeah, really okay. good to be here. Great. Look, I just want to dive straight in, you know, with uh, a question. So as if we don't know already, but we do need to spell this out. What is the harm in smoking? Yeah, this is something that I think we've known about the harms for smoking really in the last sort of 50, 60 years. So unless you've been living under a rock, you know that smoking kills. You know that it's bad. The message has been stamped on cigarette packets, heard on TV, radio, plastered over billboards, drummed in into us in school or in school. Um, but people still smoke. You know, smoking was responsible for over 500,000 hospital admissions in 2019, 2020, and almost 75,000 deaths. And it's led to a quarter of all cancer deaths, 35% of deaths due to respiratory diseases. Um, sort of around 14% of adults still smoke cigarettes. So it is down and, you know, it was a lot higher in the past. Um, but that's still a significant proportion of the population who are at risk of all these conditions. And almost 6% of the population used an e-cigarette or vaping device as well in 2019-20. So it's it's a wonder that people that people still smoke, you know, knowing these facts. Yeah. Um, I mean, those are quite staggering statistics, some of those, aren't they? And I think, you know, with those statistics, like you say, they're not new numbers. We do know this. But why then smoke in the first place? What are those factors that still drive us towards cigarettes, even though we know those very, very important figures? Well, it, it is, it's a lot about sort of early childhood, or ch childhood and sort of upbringing and, and school, because about two thirds of adults um, who smoke took up smoking before the age of 18 and about 80% before the age of 20. Um, you know, we, we often hear about peer pressure and that's that's the sort of thing, you know, instantly people standing around behind the bus shelter, you know, um, getting a cigarette off, off a friend. But that is a factor playing into it. But there's lots of other other sort of influences. And we don't really think about those kids going home, maybe not with the same level of peer pressure, but then to, you know, siblings or to parents who smoke. 
Um, and then you know, socioeconomic status also plays in a big role in tobacco marketing to individuals. It's gone on for years and years. Um, all these things, you know, play into this this complex web. It's not something that we can easily say, oh, it's just peer pressure. It's just you know people's people's friends kind of influence them. Um, it's also more prevalent among among individuals with with psychiatric conditions and substance abuse disorders. Um, suggesting you know some groups in particular might have increased susceptibility to nicotine addiction, and when you delve into the actual stats of who smokes, it tends to be, um, you know, my particular interest in the book. Well, I was writing from the the US statistical point of view, and they they had lots of excellent statistics in the US Surgeon General's report about sort of educational attainment and you know jobs and everything else and how the, how this related to smoking and it it did correlate with level of educational attainment, level of income, and uh, sort of education is a big factor in, in um, smoking and when people take up smoking in particular. Um, I, I guess what you've described is what kind of starts us smoking, those kind of demographics that, that pull us perhaps more towards smoking and, and completely, you know, those sound uh, really important and, uh, and viable. But Beyond that, what keeps us smoking? So it's one thing to start, uh, mm -hmm. and it's another thing to keep smoking, isn't it? What is uh, what is it that's keeping us hooked? Well, um, cigarette smoking, as we all know, is sort of the prototypical addiction. Uh, nicotine is is a very addictive substance, so it's contained in tobacco and it's easily absorbed through the lungs and the bloodstream. And once absorbed, it acts on nicotinic cholinergic receptors, um, triggering the release of dopamine in the nucleus accumbens and also other neurotransmitters. So this is a very sort of overly simplistic view of it, but this is the, what's been the the accepted sort of paradigm in addiction. Uh, things aren't quite as simple as simple as that in reality. But the you know the working model is that dopamine is is sort of very important in the reward-related neuronal system. So smoking, you know, or nicotine then triggers the release of dopamine, which then reinforces or you know gives provides feelings of pleasure, which then reinforces the um, uh, reinforces smoking and tobacco smoking and nicotine use in future. Um, of course, as the body as the body adapts to nicotine, individuals tend to increase the amount of tobacco they use um, to achieve the same effect. So that's you know, phenomenon that's seen in other drug addiction as well, known as tolerance. Um, and dopamine, glutamate, and GABA, gamma aminobutyric acid, also play roles in the development of nicotine dependence. Um, as I was saying, it's not, you know, as simple as that seems because various various sort of pharmacological substances attempting to, to block this dopaminergic effect don't have 100% efficacy. You know, if it was as, as straightforward as, as um, dopamine causing pleasure and that's the reason you smoke, then you think blocking it should solve all the problems. But, you know, things in life rarely are as simple as, as they're kind of, um, as, as we like to think, um, but, but it, de it definitely does play in a role. So it, it um, th these are, you know, known as the feel-good neurotransmitters. So then you can understand then when you take them away, you get, as in smoking cessation, then you get the opposite, you get nicotine withdrawal. So, you know, you get low mood, anxiety, tiredness, irritability, mood swings, headaches, and insomnia. But of course, there's a fast way to solve that problem is just to start smoking again, because then problem solved. Yeah. 
And we do look for that immediate reward. Don't we? It's all part mm-hmm. of our, our reward centers. We want that immediacy of that feel good. And we also do want that longer term effect, but we don't see that right in that moment, do we? Which is what sort of habits are all about, which is why we go back to doing that same thing again and again that gives us that reward and gives us that sort of heightened uh, pleasure. Do you think we can seek it out in in other ways? Is it as simple as, well, if the nicotine's raising my dopamine levels to here, then actually I can seek that same level, that same reward without cigarettes. I can find other pleasurable activities that give me that. What are your thoughts on kind of replacing habits? We do talk about quitting, don't we, smoking? But what about actually replacing it so that you're still getting that same neurotransmission going on? It's a really compelling idea that you could sort of take out something negative and replace it with something positive. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of evidence as of yet, yet you know, that to things, things that we know that actually work um, because, you know, exercise and physical activity increases levels of dopamine or, you know, or stimulates dopamine release and gives us a bit of that kind of feel good uh, feeling and, you know, release of endorphins and everything else. Um, but exercise hasn't been shown yet. Well, there are a few, there's been a few studies that, that, that have said there's, so some level of low quality evidence that exercise might be an adjunct to smoking cessation, but we don't have good proof yet that that's, that that's a, a proper effect. Um, and part of the problem is that it's probably something not that, you know, there's not going to be a lot of money in that. It's not something that you can sell as easily as, a, you know, something like a nicotine replacement or a, a medication, you know, something that you can, you can trial and sell in a controlled manner. It's exercise requires a lot more individual input. And I'm sure there have been a lot of people who find that um, doing other things, as you say, that, that you could substitute, you know, positive positive factors in your life um, for this habit. They probably do find that helpful, but we just don't at the moment. You know, we don't have that evidence. So, and there have been studies into into mindfulness meditation as well mm-hmm. and smoking cessation. And again, though there's some early promise with that, um, the evidence is is mixed, and we don't really have a lot of high quality studies um, with lots of things. And you know, in in the research world and the evidence world. Um, things are you know it's very preliminary this is something we'll probably see proof of years down the line and it's going to be a case of you know we'll all have accepted that as being very effective you know something you could do or effective long before the research catches up to then say to prove that oh the common sense thing was true yeah because the common sense feels that it makes sense, doesn't it? It seems to make sense sort of physiologically as well. It's just, as you say, we've got to kind of really try and nail the information and the evidence um, around that. But it sounds like it's very multifactorial, just as you've described, there's multiple factors around why we smoke and why we stay smoking. There's also going to be multiple things that we can do to help us quit. And a little bit of mindfulness and a little bit of exercise and a little bit of of, uh, nicotine replacement therapy and a little bit of uh, one-to-one motivation Motivation, all of that's going to make quite a bit of a uh, difference with a sort of more of an additive effect as well, isn't it? Um, yep. But I did want to probe you a little bit on um, e-cigarettes and vaping as the sort of uh, the next high tide in uh, in smoking and alternatives. Um, what is the current information and evidence telling us? Because it's, you know, it's a relatively new phenomenon still, but I, I see those numbers um, escalating, especially in, you know, youngsters, uh, 20s 30s I think that sort of age group even kind of younger uh, you know school age school age group as well so what do you what can you tell us about sort of e-cigarettes and vaping well it's huge as you said they're a relatively new kid on the block mm-hmm. um, but they've become a multi-billion dollar industry 
you know, I would I would say that, you know, you go out in the streets and you see people using vapes. We don't go out in the streets, obviously, anymore. So prior to that, I remember them being, you know, ubiquitous. You just uh, everybody, that, you know, anybody who would have previously been, been smoking in public would be vaping. And then that was it's sort of more more societally acceptable, even though it's a you know nicotine substitute in that, in that sense. And I'm sure, you know, we all understand that they, the cigarettes themselves, they, they use a heating element to vaporize mixtures, um, usually including nicotine, but also flavorings. Um, and they're marketed as safer alternatives to smokings. The flavoring side of things is the, I suppose, the concerning side in, in the youth, because the way some of these things are marketed, um, you know, it's not not something necessarily that that adults would be drawn to, whereas you know something that's like cherry flavored might appeal more more to kids. And you got to wonder then, why are you using these particular flavors if this is supposed to be something that's you know, sold to eighteen plus only? Mm. Um, there's the jury is still out on whether they're they're effective for smoking cessation. Um, we were, again, we need to see more high quality evidence before we'd re recommend them over other methods, sort of proven methods like nicotine replacement and um, counselling. So Public Health England, they have taken the approach that e-cigarettes are safer and they're preferable to, to smoking. They're not completely risk-free, risk um, but it's a case of, you know, we know there's a lot fewer harmful chemicals in these than, than there are in traditional tobacco cigarettes. Um, and they are, they are meant to be well-regulated as well. Now, how many people are sidestepping the regulation and using sort of, you know, homemade vape liquids? Uh, uh, that's... You know, a serious problem whenever we come into things like um, the vaping associated lung injury. We saw the epidemic of really, when was it? It was 2019 to early 2020, where there were a lot of people in America were, were getting quite ill and, and being taken to ICU. And that was found to be to do with, um, or th thought to be to do with um, one of the acetates, vitamin, I think we believe it was vitamin E acetate that some people were used, using in homemade mixtures. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, I'm always a little bit reluctant when I to you to recommend anything like e-cigarettes because, as much as we say, you know, oh no, there's there's there are fewer harmful things in it, you know, there's nic there's nicotine, yes, but you know you can have a controlled amount of nicotine, but with anything that's only been around in the last you know 10, 15 years, you don't know what it does over the what's going to, going to do over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you don't know what speed of you know what spike in cancers we're going to see due to this, or we're going to discover that people are getting something related related to some heavy metal poisoning from from elements burning up and you know something you know there's lots of things that the case of cigarettes are the devil we know we don't want to recommend them but it's hard to recommend this thing that we don't really know it's what its long long term impact will be so it'd be nice yeah, I to say, i think it's like with any industry that just blows up it that's the one that tends to keep it favored because suddenly you know it becomes a kind of commercial uh, there's a commercial element to it and this is huge in the main mm -hmm. thing is it becomes sort of attractive it's all about the marketing around it as well um and actually you're you know i completely agree we just don't know enough and it, it is unregulated. You, know, you go around the globe um, and vaping is occurring in all sorts of, of forms as well. And of course, you know, what's global is, is, is also local now. So mm -hmm. uh, you just don't really know what you're sort of getting um, at all, do you? I think you should always be a bit sceptical as well when you see tobacco companies start to buy up these other companies and the, the things is like, well, they're generally not in it for, you know, for everybody's kind of enjoyment and health. It's, you know, they, these things are ultimately out to make money. They're not, they're not there to to um, help people. Yeah. 
And the nicotine itself, any safety issues around that? We know what nicotine is. We may not understand what everything else is in, in these products, but the nicotine itself, can that be harmful to you? Nicotine, it's something that hadn't been studied in isolation as much as, as lots of the other chemicals, sort of, you know, tobacco smoke in general had been, and, and, and traditional cigarettes in general had been looked at. But I believe there is some sort of early, early um, research into nicotine carcinogenesis. But again, this is all very very preliminary. We think we kind of understand more about the synergistic effects of nicotine with all the other chemicals and tar and things in, in traditional cigarettes. Um, so I'm not entirely sure on that front, but I do do remember researching it for the, about the book. It was something that hadn't been looked at very much in isolation because understandably it's like, you know, it's, it's like testing certain chemicals or certain drugs in vitro where if you take them completely out of the context, you know, you're not going to potentially get any usable information. So before maybe maybe people hadn't thought about studying nicotine on its own because there wasn't this idea that other than, I, I suppose you can argue with nicotine replacement, um, you know, there's not this idea that people are going to be inhaling a lot of nicotine on its own. The other concern is that it is toxic. So people people can overdose on it through these, these things, you know, if they're using too much. And then there's the danger of having you know, a very concentrated chemical lying around the house, say, if, you know, if children got into it and, and drank it, it wouldn't be a, be a great outcome. So, you know, there, there are additional dangers, you know, thinking laterally on the side of having a hold of a lot of nicotine. Absolutely. Gosh, lots to, lots to think about, really, isn't there? Mm -hmm. uh, going from the kind of numbers to the product to the alternatives to, to actually the sort of habit and, and how we kind of break that and, and replace that. And now, here is your lifestyle first prescription. Your three activating actions to take you from knowing to doing. Have you got three actions for us today, Adam? Yes, mine are a little bit on the nose because the, the real take home message is to stop smoking. Um, but the three actions I've got are to speak to someone. If you do smoke, speak to someone about smoking cessation, because there's a lot of good evidence that even a brief intervention of somebody chatting to you for a few minutes up to counselling and things, um, they increase quit rates and they, they may make for more successful quit attempts. So definitely speak to somebody if you're thinking about smoking cessation and it's never too late to, to stop smoking. Um, seek alternatives. In this case, we've chatted about e-cigarettes, which aren't currently aren't currently the kind of recommended alternatives. What would be recommended is things like nicotine replacement. There's certain medications as well you can get from your GP, um, and there and and so you've got nicotine replacement medications, um, things like patches gum inhalers you know studies have proven that that using something like a nicotine patch with a longer acting thing along alongside with a nicotine inhaler can increase um kind of quit attempt success as well um, and then the third is just to stop smoking because it's very bad it causes many cancers respiratory illnesses um can cause sexual dysfunction can cause lots of like almost every system in the body is negatively impacted by smoking so if you can stop that's the ideal Love that. Stop smoking. Yeah. Stop smoking. Yeah. Stop smoking. Yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah, concise message, you know. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Adam. And I'm sure listeners are going to want to get uh, get in touch with you, find out more, if not just to find out about your list of hobbies and, and skills. So, uh, where's the best place to come and find you? Uh, you can follow me on my blog at ordinarydecentgamer.com or ordinarydecentgamer.com and follow me on Twitter at, at the Adam Douglas. Okay. Great, will do. Thank you so much. 
Excellent. Thank you very much, Helga. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the Lifestyle First podcast, making self-care as easy as one, two, three. Don't forget to subscribe and share. And we'd love it if you'd be kind enough to leave a review. To learn more or to arrange a consultation, please visit www.dralkapatel.com. See you next time.